The Biden economy misses wildly on job expectations while the White House pays people to stay home. Vaccination demand drops precipitously thanks to Joe Biden's messaging failures. And the social justice mob grows ever more insane. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. I protect my data with VPN. So should you. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll have a lot of news to get to. It's a busy weekend. First, however, let us talk about the fact that you're paying too much for your cell phone coverage. You really are. Your cell phone provider is charging you way too much money. They've told you a pack of lies about how much money you actually need to pay in order to get good cell phone coverage. Here is what you actually need. You need Pure Talk USA. In fact, Pure Talk saves the average family of four over $800 a year. Here's the best part. You don't have to sacrifice coverage because it's on the exact same network as one of the big providers, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile. Friends, switching is easy. You can keep your phone, keep your number, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Right now, you can get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. I know what you're saying to yourself. Six gigs of data. What if I go over? Well, here's the good news. They're not going to charge you for it. Just one of the many reasons Pure Talk USA has been named the top wireless provider by consumer affairs. From your cell phone, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. You will save 50% off your very first month. That is pound 250, say Ben Shapiro to get started. Save a ton on your cell phone bill. Why would you pay the cell phone providers that much money when you don't have to? Instead, head on over to Pure Talk USA, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. You save 50% off your first month and hundreds of bucks down the road. Alrighty, so... Just before the weekend, we got this April jobs report, and it was just egregiously bad. Now, when I say egregiously bad, I mean compared to expectations. We had about 266,000 jobs added to the American economy, and there's a downgrade of the number of jobs that had been expected to grow the prior month as well. It was supposed to be in March, it was supposed to be like 916,000 jobs, and ended up being about 770,000 jobs in April. It ended up being 266,000 jobs. Now, most economists expected a million job increase, a million job increase. Obviously, expectations wildly missed. According to the Washington Post, the U.S. economy added just 266,000 jobs in April, a disappointing month of growth that fell well below economists' estimates despite declining virus caseloads and increased vaccine distribution around the country. The April unemployment rate remained relatively unchanged at 6.1%, although economists cautioned the number is misleadingly low given how many people have dropped out of the labor force in the past year. The news increased political pressure in Washington amid concerns about whether a labor shortage reported in some pockets of the economy is slowing down the recovery. The White House rejected that notion on Friday. Instead, they said, no, 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 everything is fine. Right Here, for example, was President Biden saying, these job numbers, they show that we're on the right track. Well, except for the fact that um, this was a completely unexpected slowing. We had, as of just before the pandemic, some 152.5 million people who were employed. We have right now about 144.3 million people who are employed. So we are still 8 million jobs short of where we were. Here's the thing. We have 7.4 million job openings right now, but nobody is filling those job openings. Why? Because when you pay people to stay home, you know what they do? They stay home. Here's Joe Biden pretending that his idiotic economic recovery packages haven't somehow softened the economy. This month's job numbers show we're on the right track. We still have a long way to go. As I said, my laser focus is on growing the nation's economy and creating jobs. Well, I mean, his real laser focus is on ensuring that he makes sure that he TiVo's Matlock. But aside from that, his laser focus apparently is on pursuing policies that greatly soften the economy, greatly soften the economy. Because here's the thing, what we are currently experiencing is exactly what you would expect if you know anything about economic history. When you blow a bunch of money into an economy that was already in a state of recovery. And when you talk about how you're going to tax everybody who creates jobs out the wazoo, what you end up with is slow economic growth and massive inflation. And indeed, even CNN is picking up on this. According to CNN, over the weekend, everywhere you look, there are headlines about higher prices. 
Some are tied to commodities, which are getting snapped up as the global economy emerges from its long slumber. Lumber prices are at an all-time high thanks to an epic home-building boom. Copper and steel prices have also reached records. Agricultural products aren't exempt. The price of corn is at its highest level since 2012. Same for soybeans. Even sales of block cheese futures have been soaring in anticipation of grilling season. Then there are consumer products. Diaper prices have gone up. Two major producers, Kimberly Clark and Procter Gamble, have warned customers that fresh hikes are coming as well. Shortages of computer chips are helping to push up car prices. Soon could do the same for electronics and household appliances. Says CNN, this doesn't just matter for Americans guarding their pocketbooks. Price increases are also being closely scrutinized by investors and economists. Are desperate to know, is this a passing phenomenon as the country emerges from a once-in-a-lifetime economic shock or a more sustained trend that evokes the 1970s? Now, normally, it is true that you would end up with higher prices in a time with greater demand and lower supply. But the point is that then demand would be caught up to by supply. Right. As the demand is high and supply is low, you'd be able to ramp up the supply to meet the demand. That's usually how supply and demand curves work. But when you are artificially preventing people from employing anybody, well, then it turns out what you get is hyperinflation. Right. This is when you end up with the with the money that you have in the bank being worth less than it was yesterday because the products are just more expensive. And this is happening across labor markets. And I was talking yesterday to a small business owner who went out for Mother's Day uh, for brunch for my wife and for my, my wife's mom. And we went to this restaurant and there was like one waiter and the, the restaurant was packed. There's one waiter and the owner came out and we were talking to the owner and the owner said, yeah, I had seven people who were supposed to show up for work this week. And instead they said, no, 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 I'm not going to show up for work because I'm getting paid too much to stay home. I mean, that is a common story that you're hearing from small businesses across the country. And you're hearing it over and over. Small business owners are saying openly that the reason that they cannot ramp up supply is because they cannot get people to come into work. There are people who are paying bonuses just to keep people to just to get people to interview for jobs. I was hearing rumors that there are chain restaurants that are now paying people like 50 bucks just to show up for an interview because people are not showing up when you pay. Unemployment benefits have now been extended all the way through September, even though the pandemic is effectively over in many states in the union right now, so far as the economy is concerned. There's a reason that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida is saying, listen, you need to show actual effort that you're going to try and get a job if you're going to continue to get unemployment benefits. The White House has has not been nearly so forthcoming. Right? They're trying to deny all of this. They're trying to pretend that none of this is happening. So Janet Yellen over at the Federal Reserve, who last week admitted that inflation is going to kick in and then said, well, you know, we can handle it if it does, presumably by by getting rid of some of their bond holdings instead of buying bonds in the open market and and trying to ramp up the the open markets rate, the overnight rate for the feds. Well, I mean, maybe you can do that or maybe this is going to run out of control because you've created too much of a barrier in the economy to people getting back to work. Here was Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, saying, no, 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 everything's fine. If I had had to write down a number is my best guess, it would have been higher. But I've watched data for a long time, and I know that it is extremely volatile. There are often surprises and temporary factors, and one should never take one month's data as an underlying trend. Besides, remember I said the, 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 the actually what happened is stronger, I think, than the headline number looks. Okay, the, the, in other words, don't believe the numbers. Believe me that it'll be fine. Or maybe it won't because this job reports, this jobs report missed by three quarters of a million jobs. Okay, that is a lot of jobs, a lot of jobs. In a second, we're going to talk about all the various ways the White House is trying to spin this. 
But again, the reality is that when you spend a bunch of money that nobody needed, and by the way, when Americans were paid to stay home last year, so actually the, the amount of money that Americans have in the bank right now is actually higher than it was before the pandemic by statistics. So people are ready to spend, but they're not ready to work. And that is a massive gap that is going to have significant downstream effects on the economy. And that is what you're seeing right now. We'll get to more of that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact you don't want to go to an auto parts store right now. First of all, they may not even have enough employees over there. Instead, why not go to the interwebs, rockauto.com? It's so much easier than walking into a store and someone demanding quick answers to things like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And then they usually just have to order the part online anyway, because there are so many types of cars. It's impossible to keep them all stocked. You have access to rockauto.com at your desk. And in your pocket, rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will do the way that airlines do. Why spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts? You know, for example, let's say just off the top of my head, because this is what I'm into. You needed a Delphi FG1456 fuel pump assembly for 2005 to 2010 Honda Odyssey. That'll cost you like 354 bucks at a big chain store. I knew that right off the top of my head. But here's the thing. Over at rockauto.com, you can get it for 217 bucks. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to RockAuto.com right now. Shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got reliably low prices, same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Shapiro in there. How did you hear about us, box? So they know that we sent you. That's RockAuto.com. Go check them out right now. Alrighty. so Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, he says, listen, I can tell you right now what the problem is. You can't pay people to stay home and then expect they're not going to stay home. We've been so generous with our plus-ups to unemployment insurance and the checks that we've been sending everybody that a great many Kentuckians and Americans look at the situation and find they're better off uh, financially to stay home rather than go back to work. So we have inflationary issues and we have difficulty in getting people to do the work to meet the new demand. Okay, this is perfectly true. I mean, and, and obviously so. Right. It is absolutely clear that this is the case. Okay, so what's weird about this, of course, is that then you have Jen Psaki saying, no, no, it's not the unemployment support. The fact that we tried to extend it all the way to September. It's not the fact that we are paying people to stay home. It's not the fact that we have just decided that we are not only going to toss two trillion dollars into the economy, but we are also calling for an additional infusion of four trillion dollars. None of that has any impact on the economy, according to Jen Psaki. In order to receive any kind of unemployment benefit, claimants must be able, available, and actively seeking work. Uh, And workers are not permitted to refuse suitable work uh, and continue to receive benefits. That all remains true, including under the pandemic UI program. Uh, You're only allowed to refuse work and continue to receive benefits if you are sick with COVID, taking care of someone sick with COVID, or offered a job in an unsafe workplace. Okay, and here's the problem. How are you going to check on all of that? How are you going to check on all that? People game that system all the damn time. Like, seriously, they game it all the time. You know how many people are paying people under the table so they can keep their unemployment benefits? Tons of people in this economy are paying people under the table so they can claim unemployment and pick up the money on the other end. That is happening on a routine basis. If you think that's not happening, I urge you to check the disability rolls in the United States where literally tens of millions of Americans who are not actually disabled are on the disability rolls. This sort of stuff happens all the time. This is not a shock. Well, the, the kind of last ditch defense here is coming courtesy of Stephanie Rule over at MSNBC. So James Pethokoukas quoted Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs, who have kind of a stake in how the economy goes, they, tweet, they apparently said, quote, labor supply appears to be tighter than the unemployment rate suggests, likely reflecting the impact of unusually generous unemployment benefits and lingering virus-related impediments to working. In other words, when you pay people to stay home, they do. And if you're a small business trying to hire somebody, you can't pay more than unemployment. 
Okay, well, Stephanie Rule, genius that she is, she tweeted out, why is it that the unemployment benefits are too generous rather than the pay offered by employers too low? Pay more money equals find more workers. If margins are so thin that you cannot increase pay without passing it through losing customers, your business model doesn't work. So literally in a time of high unemployment, she is calling for businesses to shut down unless they can pay for higher labor costs, which leads to, wait for it, more unemployment. Because when you artificially boost the price of labor such that businesses cannot pay it, those businesses don't simply pass on the prices to consumers if the consumers are not able to support the business. Instead, the businesses just shut down. Effectively, what she is calling for is a gigantic and ever-increasing minimum wage program. That's really what she's calling for, a universal basic income that drives unemployment. And then she blames the businesses for not paying more money. Okay, so let's say that the businesses do. Let's say that the businesses increase prices. That's called inflation. Right now, all the businesses are increasing prices in order so they can afford to pay for the labor. And then you have a bunch of people who can't afford to pay for those prices. And then you get more unemployment because a bunch of demand falls off. Like, this is how you get an inflation, a stagflationary cycle. Okay, what the Democrats are pushing right now is driving a stagflationary cycle. And I'll be honest with you, you've heard me on the show talk about the economy in the past. And I thought that the underlying economy is strong enough and the economic recovery is naturally strong enough that it was going to be a couple of years before you saw all of this stuff start to kick in in serious fashion, especially because Joe Biden is planning tons and tons of new spending, right? He's planning $10 trillion in spending if he could get his way this year. So I was expecting you'd get at least a year of solid economic growth before this stuff started to kick in. But literally three months into his administration, you're already seeing misses on jobs reports by three quarters of a million jobs. It's insane. And then meanwhile, you, know, you, you have all of these, these Democrats at the same time pushing vaccination ideas and, and ideas about COVID that are also keeping the economy a lot slower than they should be. By the way, some members of the Biden administration are admitting as much. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh came out over the weekend. He was like, yeah, you know what's actually keeping people home also? The fact that all the schools are closed. Oh, why are the schools closed, Marty? Why don't you explain? Why is it that not all the schools are open? Down here in Florida, all the schools are open. They've been open since September. What are you doing over there in the White House? Here's Labor Secretary Marty Walsh admitting what he wasn't supposed to admit. We also have to deal with childcare and schools. And, and those, are, those are two barriers right now, in my opinion, that are keeping people from getting back into the workforce as well because their children are at home, they're learning remotely, or, or their, their childcare facilities aren't open. Okay, so um, who is, um, who's making sure that the schools are closed? Oh, that's right, it's the CDC. That's right, it's Democrats in blue states who are keeping the schools closed and talking about how they're going to keep them closed Maybe in the fall, the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, who should be summarily fired, she's been awful all the way through. She now admits that the teachers unions changed the guidance here. OK, so you're getting it from all sides here. The, the assault on the American economy from this administration is breathtaking. They're blowing money into the economy to create inflation. They're dramatically increasing the number of people who aren't even looking for work. And then they're artificially shutting down schools at the behest of teachers unions so that people have to stay home from work to take care of their kids. And then they're pumping it. Here's Rochelle Walensky from the CDC explaining that, yeah, you know, we're supposed to be science-based, but we got the teachers unions to help us write the guidelines for school reopenings. As a matter of practice, when we put out um, guidance, we um, engage with our stakeholders and users of that information, consumers of that information, to understand what it is that they need from the guidance when we put it out. We do that before we release the guidance so we understand what and confirm that what we put out is um, what they need to, to move forward. Unbelievable. So there she is admitting that they rewrote the standards for school reopenings at the behest of teachers unions. Why? Because those teachers unions spend hundreds of millions of dollars every single election cycle 
on Democrats. So in the end, what do, what do the Biden White House folks say? They say, you know what? Stop being impatient. You're just being impatient. We're being impatient. We waited, we waited a year for recovery to happen. We're being impatient. The recovery should be happening already. Things are wide open. People are taking off their masks after they're vaccinated. Like it's, it's done. At least it's, it's moving toward done. And here's Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary, saying, you know, it's just everybody's being impatient about this whole thing. We haven't vaccinated to the point where we can open up fully. And I would say, too, and the numbers show this, that more women stayed home because their kids are not in school. And that is still and their daycare centers may not be open. So we are not through this yet. You know, things are going to get better. It's just a question of the impatience of some, I think, is unrealistic. It's impatience, you see. Yes, it is us who are telling people that they have to stay home to watch their kids because the schools are closed. And sure, we are the ones pushing bad information on vaccines and when you can go back to work and enjoy your life. Sure, all of that's true, but, but you're just being impatient. It's you. It's, it's, they're all principal Skinner. Is it me? No, it's the kids who are the problem. No, it's you. It's you guys. We'll get to the vaccination misinformation being put out by this administration in just one second. First, let's talk for a second about the fact that while you're spending time at home, you know, you've already got the great mattress that I told you about from Helix Sleep, right? You did it. You went, you got the Helix Sleep mattress. It's personalized for you and it's fantastic. Well, now Helix is making your home even more comfortable. They've gone beyond the bedroom. They've started making sofas. They launched a new company called Allform. They're making premium, customizable sofas and chairs shipped directly to your door. So what makes an Allform sofa really cool? Well, for starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric. It is spill, stain, scratch resistant. That is super useful to me. I have three young children. The sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size and shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight seat sectional. So there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want your all form sofa to grow and change with you when you move. All form sofas are also delivered directly to your door in the past. If you wanted to order a sofa, you'd need to hire somebody to come and assemble it in your home or break your back trying to put it together yourself. Not so with all form. They have a simple, quick assembly, no tools required. Also, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it more than three months. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a refund. They have a forever warranty, like literally forever. So nothing to lose here. It's great. The product's fantastic. We have an all form sofa at our house. My kids love it. They, like when, when guests come over, they fight to sleep on it. It is that good. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Ben. Again, allform.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Allform.com slash Ben and gets 20% off your order. Alrighty. So meanwhile, another factor that is leading to the slow recovery, the unexpectedly slow recovery, is the fact that this administration continues to downplay the efficacy of these vaccines. And so you have the entire media now parroting the idea that if we don't have herd immunity, we can never go back to regular. And here's the deal. These vaccines are unbelievably effective, like incredibly effective. So effective that once you are vaccinated, you should be looking to get back to regular life, right? Once you're done, you're done. And the reality is that the vaccines are well in excess of 95% effective. And we're talking Moderna or Pfizer. They're well in excess of 95% effective at preventing serious disease and death. And it also prevents, it also prevents you from getting it in something like 90% of cases, according to the latest Israeli data. So you're in real good shape once you get the vaccines and you can go out and you can live your life. You don't actually have, once you've had the vaccine, you don't need to wait for quote unquote herd immunity in order for you to go out and lead your life and also take off your mask according to the best available data. And I'm quoting there a number of doctors ranging from Dr. Marty McCary to one of the CNN in-house doctors. Okay, this is fairly widely accepted at this point. Okay, but instead of upplaying the efficacy of the vaccines, which by the way, would encourage people to get the vaccines, this administration continues to declare that the pandemic will be a forever pandemic. And the media mirror this. So you have the New York Times today 
Headline, the world may need to learn to live with the virus. Okay, first of all, if that were true, then maybe you should have been saying that maybe a year ago when you, instead of shutting down economies and forcing everybody back into their homes, maybe you should have said, okay, what if we actually just take precautions and go back to work? But you weren't doing that then. Now you're doing it when it's pretty clear that once you get the vaccine, you're pretty good to go. The New York Times says, early in the pandemic, there was hope the world would one day achieve herd immunity, the point when the coronavirus lacks enough hosts to spread easily. But over a year later, the virus is crushing India with a fearsome second wave and surging in countries from Asia to Latin America. Experts now say it is changing too quickly. New, more contagious variants are spreading too easily and vaccinations are happening too slowly for herd immunity to be within reach anytime soon. Yes, but these vaccines are also unbelievably durable against the variants. In field tests, these variants, the British variant, the South African variant, the Brazilian variant, all of these variants are not overcoming the, the natural immunity provided by, by vaccine or the vaccine immunity that's provided by the vaccine. But the, the, we have to maintain this level of panic. And so you end up with Dr. Anthony Fauci continuing to declare that, you know, maybe a year from now, things will be back to closer. A year from now? Are you insane? Okay, so I live in the free state of Florida. In the free state of Florida, let me tell you how things go. Everybody's fine. You get the vaccine and then you go out and you live your life. People who are free are done. Once they feel safe, they're doing what they want. And if you don't want to get the vaccine and you want to put yourself at that level of risk, and we're not talking about somebody who has some sort of deep pre-existing condition that prevents you from getting the vaccine, and you just don't want to get the vaccine, well, guess what? Then it's on you, right? I mean, then it's your decision. You're a free human being. That's the way we treat it down in Florida, and things are fine. We are back to work. We're back to regular life. Things are fine. But here's Anthony Fauci saying, you know, maybe like a year from now, Mother's Day will be different. A year from now? And then they wonder why the economy is slow. I, yes, it'd be because of you guys. You are doing this. This is on the White House. I hope that next Mother's Day we're going to see a, a dramatic difference than what we're seeing right now. I believe that we will be about as close to back to normal as we can. And there's there's some conditions to that, George. We've got to make sure that we get the overwhelming proportion of the population vaccinated. When that happens, the virus doesn't really have any place to go. There aren't a lot of vulnerable people around. And where there are not a lot of vulnerable people around, you're not going to see a surge. By the way, notice how the language of this administration has shifted from get the vaccine and, and everything will be fine to herd immunity. Now, some people were talking about natural herd immunity early on. Some people were saying that herd immunity, especially if you can have it among young people, is not a terrible thing because you're killing vectors of transmission. And then you were told you're killing grandma if you're 20 and you get COVID, even if you don't go anywhere near grandma. Now they're like herd immunity is the be all end all. Weird how the messaging changed just in time to slow down the economy. And, and the message from this White House is if the economy is slow, that requires more spending, even though it's our spending that's causing the economy to be slow. Now, how much of this is based on actual science? Pretty much none of it. OK, so much of what is being promoted by this White House right now is steeped in anti-science. So, for example, Joe Biden's COVID czar, he was on with Jake Tapper and he was being asked, you know, why is Biden wearing a mask when he goes outside? Why is Biden wearing a mask when he's socially distanced? The dude is vaccinated. What is he doing? And yet here you have Jeffrey Zenz explaining to Jake Tapper or failing to explain why Joe Biden continues to promote nonsense. Is it really necessary for a fully vaccinated person to wear a mask at a limited indoor gathering if everyone there is vaccinated? Well, the CDC has given guidance that when you're with family and friends that are vaccinated in small groups, you don't need a mask. So why does President Biden in a room full of vaccinated journalists Look, with everybody in that room vaccinated? Why does he need to wear a mask? The president is going to continue to follow the CDC guidance. He's not. He literally is not. That was Jake Tapper's entire question. He literally is not following the CDC guidance. So when Jeffrey Zenz says there, 
He's going to follow. He's not. Right. Every day, Joe Biden is making the tacit case that getting the vaccine makes no difference. He's still masking up. It's ridiculous. OK, and it's not just that. The White House has so blown the COVID messaging here and the vaccine messaging here that they created the vaccine hesitancy. The same people who are like, we need vaccines. They created the vaccine hesitancy. OK, so let's talk about that for a second. Uh, just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, the Biden administration announced via the FDA that they were holding up the J&J vaccine. And they're holding up the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Why? Because out of the several, it was like six or seven or eight million people who had gotten the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, six people had a severe blood clotting reaction. Six out of like seven million people. Which, by the way, is, is kind of the proportion that you have seen in terms of the, the number of deaths from COVID from people who have who've gotten the vaccine. And something like 88 million people, as of, a couple, as of a couple weeks ago, there's like 82, 83, 84 million people who'd been vaccinated and 88 deaths total in the United States from COVID among people who had been vaccinated. So these things are unbelievably effective. J&J, also a very effective vaccine and much more durable in the sense that you can ship it very easily. It only requires one shot as opposed to two. Okay, and then, and then this administration idiotically put a hold on the J&J vaccine and publicly announced that they were putting a hold on the J&J vaccine. Okay, so here was Joe Biden's COVID czar. Jeffrey Zentz explaining that, you know, when we put that J&J vaccine on hold, it made no difference. Now, here's the problem. It did make a difference. A lot of people looked at that and they said, oh, okay, I'm not getting the vaccine because now I'm scared. Now I'm afraid of the side effects. So here is Jake Tapper questioning Jeffrey Zentz and good for Jake on this. In retrospect, was it a, was it a mistake uh, to put a hold on the J&J vaccine um, in terms of confidence? Uh, did that make your task harder? No, not at all. I mean, the FDA is the gold standard in the world. And the FDA is constantly monitoring for safety. And doing the pause was the right thing. That builds confidence that people know that the FDA and the CDC are monitoring. Not necessarily. I mean, carefully. it should build confidence. It actually shows, the, the, the research showed after the pause that confidence overall in the vaccines increased hmm. after the pause. Wrongo. Okay, here is an actual graph. This is from Nate Silver. Hey, Nate Silver is not a right winger from 538. Nate Silver put out this graph. It shows the daily count of people receiving the first dose reported to the CDC by the date administered in the United States. And what you see is that the number of people who are getting the first dose grows up until about the beginning of April. And you see, it, it, it starts jumping really around like beginning of February. It's steadily climbing from December all the way through February. Then there's like a brief pause. And then it starts going up pretty dramatically at the beginning of February all the way up to about 2 million people a day who are receiving, on average, who are receiving their first dose of the vaccine. On some days, you're getting over 2.4 million people who are receiving the vaccine. And then it starts to plummet right around the beginning of April. Right right around there, it jumps, it starts to decline rapidly, like down to 1.6, down to 1.2, down to now only about 400,000 or 500,000 people a day who have been getting that first dose reported to the CDC. So what happened, you might ask, around the beginning of April? That was the J&J &J pause. The J&J &J pause is right at the peak on that chart. And then you can see it drop like a stone. In other words, this administration has been garbage at everything. They are messaging with data that is completely wrong. Okay, and it is not people who are merely sort of freedom advocates like me, you know, people who are saying that, that you should be able to take off the mask once you've had the vaccine. Scott Gottlieb, who's been as cautious as it is possible to be, the former FDA administrator under President Trump, he's been very cautious all the way, big advocate of masking. He says, once you've got the vaccine, Really, you should be able to unmask inside.
We've always said from a public health standpoint that we would set as a metric maybe when we get down to 10 cases per 100,000 people on a daily basis. Well, half the country's there right now. If you want to be more conservative and say five cases per 100,000 people, well, this week, by this week, probably about a quarter of states will be there. So we're at the point right now we could start lifting these ordinances and allowing people to resume normal activities. Certainly outdoors, we shouldn't be putting limits on gatherings anymore. We should be encouraging people to go outside. And the states where prevalence is low, vaccination rates are high, and we have good testing in place, so we're identifying infections. I think we could start lifting these restrictions indoors as well on a broad basis. Yes, correct. Okay, and, and again, Gottlieb is not a hawk like me when it comes to this sort of stuff. Right? Gottlieb has been very, very friendly to some of these restrictions. So suddenly, the science is not on the side of the administration and not on the side of the media, but the media still have to prop up the narrative. This isn't Biden's fault. Vaccine hesitancy isn't his fault. The economic downturn isn't his fault. So what are they doing? They're blaming Tucker Carlson. So all CNN and MSNBC exist to do at this point is just cover Fox News. It's pretty astonishing. They spend all day long talking about how terrible it is that, Fo that Fox News exists and that Tucker Carlson exists. Okay, now, Tucker has been on his show talking about, you know, adverse reactions to the vaccines. And I think that he has, uh, he has not covered the vaccines in a way, certainly, that I would cover the vaccines. But if you think that the chief cause of vaccine hesitancy in the United States is Tucker Carlson rather than, you know, the CDC, the FDA the White House, you're out of your mind. But the media have, have decided they have to blame somebody and it can't be Biden for this vaccine hesitancy. This has, by the way, been the myth all along in the media is that it's, it's everybody who loves Trump has been refusing the vaccine. Really? Because Trump voters are older than the general population. Some 82% of people above the age of 65 in the United States have already taken the vaccine. In fact, if you want to look at communities where there's very, very low levels of vaccination, those communities tend to be predominantly minority communities, right? Did, that did not vote for President Trump. But, in, but it's Tucker's fault, according to CNN, because it can't be Biden's fault. It really is that simple. I've heard Tucker Carlson repeatedly say that many Americans are dying after getting the shot. And he says it with the implication that the shots are to blame with no evidence at all. He's scaring his audience so recklessly that even some of his own colleagues called him out for it on Twitter. Carlson acts like he knows some secret truth that's been covered up by some shadowy enterprise. You know what? Maybe he should be writing some junk movie of the week for Netflix or Tubi. Maybe he should go write horror novels for a living because he's clearly not responsible enough to have a show that purports to pretends to be news. Okay, so Brian Stelter's been on a crusade for a while to get Tucker kicked off the air. I don't agree with what Tucker says about the vaccines. As you know, I'm probably the strongest advocate on the right for vaccination. I think vaccination is a godsend. I think it's basically a scientific miracle. At the same time, the notion that Tucker Carlson is the chief cause of vaccine hesitancy in the United States is absurd on its face. It's the White House that is the chief cause. And there's a reason why the media have been swiveling and clocking Carlson. They don't have Trump to kick around anymore. So Tucker is their new stand in. All right. In just a second, we're going to get to the latest in social justice warrioring because it continues apace. I have an article from the L.A. Times that just demonstrates how stupid this is. It is really amazing. First, let us talk about the fact that if you are looking to Make your company better. You need better employees. And the best way to find a great employee is to check out ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Hiring can feel like trying to find a needle in a haystack. You can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within day one. It's no wonder over 2.3 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. 
Now, it's important to find the right people to hire, but it can be really, really rough. Word of mouth is not a great system. And trying to individually follow all of these job boards, it takes forever. Instead, check out ZipRecruiter for free right now at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire, D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. All right, we're gonna get to more in the news in just one second. First, if you own an Apple device, I've got good news for you. All of the Daily Wire's latest news commentary analysis is now available for your reading pleasure on Apple News. We cover everything you're not getting anywhere else. So if you wanna make your news feed infinitely better, just head on over to Apple News on your device, search for the Daily Wire, hit that follow button. We really appreciate it. As I'm sure you all know, the Daily Wire has been growing insanely fast. Not only did we move the whole company across the country to Nashville, and we're here in South Florida, we also released our first feature film. We struck up a movie deal with Gina Carano. We launched a brand new talk show hosted by Candace Owens. We launched Debugged. All of this within the last five months. And we've got so much more coming for you. We've been moving so fast. We have so much awesome stuff coming for you. And here's the thing. We want to continue to include you in our plans every day on this show. I talk a lot about the amazing products and services from sponsors I use and love. And you guys love them too, I know. But we want to get to know you better so that we can actually choose our sponsors with you in mind. So please head on over to dailywire.com slash Shapiro. Fill out my audience survey. Tell us a little more about yourself and to sweeten the whole experience. Those of you who complete the survey will be entered to win a $1,000 gift card. They can only take the survey once per Daily Wire show. So if you want to increase your chances of winning 1000 bucks, go listen to Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, or Matt Walsh. Get access to their surveys as well. Again, my survey link is dailywire.com slash Shapiro. We would absolutely love to hear from you. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Hey, meanwhile, as though the economy were not already slowing, as though we didn't already have enough crises on our hands, the, the, the Biden administration is doing an unbelievable job of manufacturing crisis pretty much everywhere, at home and abroad. We'll start with at home and then we'll get to abroad because it really is fairly incredible how they've somehow manufactured an economic crisis where there really ought not be one. They're manufacturing a COVID crisis where the COVID crisis is on the wane and essentially done in a bunch of states. And they continue to foment social panic with regard to race relations in the United States. So the Black Lives Matter movement continues to create issues in cities across the country. The latest example comes courtesy of Plano, Texas. So Plano is about as red an area as it is possible to find. Plano is like 65-35, Republican-Democrat. It may be higher than that. Hey, Black Lives Matter took over an intersection anyway. And the cops decided instead of clearing the intersection, they were just going to allow Black Lives Matter to take over the intersection and stop traffic, which is nuts. Enough of this crap already. Okay, you, you can get a license to protest. You can get a license to shut down streets. But if you just decide to show up in the middle of the street and shut down traffic, then everybody has a right to be pissed at you. One driver got out of his car. The police decided that he was the problem, not the people who were holding up the traffic. This guy was ticked off. He's, you know, and, and the cops show up. People are screaming at him. And um, people are flipping him off. What are the cops doing? Nothing. The cops are just standing there doing nothing. That's not the cops' fault. That's not the cops' fault. Right? The cops have been told, presumably by their political higher-ups, to not stop this sort of nonsense. It's an absurdity. Now, this sort of, of social division in the country is simply not a good thing. And the fact that the police have been told to stand down in the face of this sort of stuff is really really bad. But again, this is all part and parcel of the giant equity push being put forward by the Biden administration. It's part of the continuing fragmentation of American life on the basis of race. Michelle Obama, who of all the people in the United States, should be pretty grateful for how great the United States has been to her. I feel this way about anybody who's in a position of high power. I'm very, very grateful to the United States for all the opportunities 
that I've had. Michelle Obama, who went to Princeton University and grew up in a two-parent family and became a highfalutin lawyer and earned a big salary and married the president of the United States. You know, she, she really, it seems, should be pretty grateful for the fact that the that this country has been good to her. But she has not been grateful for that for quite a while. I mean, you'll recall back in 2008, Michelle Obama suggested openly that she, the first time that she had been that she had been grateful for the country or the first time that she'd been proud of the country, rather, is when her husband was nominated for the presidency. That's the first time in her life, which is pretty amazing, considering, again, she went to Princeton University. Well, now Michelle Obama and President Obama are speaking out a lot about race. In an excerpt of an interview that's going to be released later today with Gail King of CBS this morning, Michelle Obama reveals her fears that the couple's daughters, Malia and Sasha, could, call, could fall victim to racist aggression as they go about their everyday lives. She said, every time they get in a car by themselves, I worry about what assumption is being made by somebody who doesn't know everything about them. Maybe they're playing their music a little loud. Maybe somebody sees the back of their head and makes an assumption. I, like so many parents of black kids, the innocent act of getting a license put fears in our hearts. Again, this is just rooted in non-data. The notion that young black women are being gunned down by the cops for the crime of being black is insane. That is not backed by data. But she's pushing it anyway because the Democratic Party has decided to foment racial polarization for purposes of electoral victory. In the same interview, Michelle praised BLM. She said they're taking to the streets because they have to. Do they have to, though? You know, those, those $2 billion riots last year. Was that a thing that had to happen? They're trying to have people understand that we're real folks. Oh, we get that you're real folks, and I'm treating you like a responsible human being, like any other responsible human being. You know, like responsible for not shutting down traffic, like responsible for not telling lies about the police. The, the bigotry of low expectations exists, and it is quite prevalent on the American left. And of course, the Obamas are earning strange new respect from the same left that had started to move away from them over all of this sort of stuff. Don Lemon doing the same thing over on CNN. He says that Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, who has said America is not a racist country, says, well, you know, Tim Scott's not an Oreo, which is a racial slur, meaning black on the outside, white on the inside. He's not an Oreo. He just, you know, doesn't care about black folks. So basically, he's an Oreo, according to Don Lemon. Obviously, you don't need the name calling. And anytime you call someone a name, anytime you do that, you don't want to become them. So you stoop to their level, you give your, your competitors ammunition, uh, and you give them a talking point, and you become them. I think that it is damaging to Democrats if they're trying to do that, and it gives Republicans talking points. Tim Scott should be held accountable for what he's doing, and if he is voting against the interest of his own people. So don't, stop calling him names. Also, he's voting against the interests of his own people. Well, well done, Don Lemon. The fomenting of racial polarization in a country that, as of 2008, was at the height of a trajectory toward being non-racist is impressive. How we've reversed that over the, over the course of the last decade and a half or so. Pretty amazing how we've reversed that so quickly. Meanwhile, wokeness infusing every part of American life this article is beyond, it, honestly, it's beyond parody from the Los Angeles Times. Fat shaming, BMI, and alienation. COVID-19 brought new stigma to large-sized people because this is what we're worried about. Now, here is the thing. There's, there's been, been this body positivity movement in the United States. Okay, the body positivity movement has basically said, you're beautiful if you are fat. Okay, that is a matter certainly of subjective opinion. It depends on what you look like, and everybody has their different opinion of what beauty constitutes. However, there is very little that suggests that you are healthier if you are fatter. Okay, the reality is that COVID does not care about your subjective sense of self-esteem or beauty. COVID kills people who are fatter. End of story. One of the leading indicators of complications from COVID was fat. 
Okay, the body positivity movement kept saying, you're beautiful if you're fat, which again is a matter of subjective opinion and is not backed by very much data from around the world. But put, put aside the subjective beauty question and instead focus on the body positivity movement's second answer, which is you are healthy if you are fat, which is just contrary to, to all known medical opinion. Now, the problem is, according to the LA Times, that there was a stigma attaching to fat people during COVID. Well, maybe it's not about the stigma. Maybe it's because if you wanted to live through COVID, losing weight would be a good way of heightening your chances. And my, my father had a few extra pounds. And during the COVID pandemic, he was like, you know what? I don't want to do die from COVID. So I am going to try and lose this weight as fast as I possibly can. Instead, the LA Times is like, stop. You know, this is all about, it's all about self-esteem and shaming. Crystal Bugon cried after the needle went into her arm, not because her first dose of the Moderna vaccine hurt, but because, finally, being fat actually paid off. The 53-year-old was inoculated in the parking lot of Kaiser Permanente in San Jose on a rainy Friday in March, four days after eligibility in California was broadened to include people with underlying conditions. Among them, a body mass index of 40 or more, 233 pounds for an adult who is 5 feet 4 inches tall. Bugon's medical record at Kaiser shows she is morbidly obese. As an activist, she prefers the word fat. Her experience with medical providers has been one incident of size stigma after another, she said, like the time she went in with a scratched cornea and was told to lose weight. She fears being hospitalized with COVID-19 and unable to advocate for herself. Well, um, maybe you're healthier if you lose weight. And when you deal with medical providers, they will keep telling you that if you lose weight, you will be healthier. But again, because so much of the woke movement is about subjective senses of self-esteem over objective fact, we're going to pretend that the big issue with COVID is all of this. Okay. So when it comes to racial polarization in the United States, when it comes to wokeness, another crisis being fomented by this administration. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, with inflation on the rise, 20 bucks barely gets you anything these days. In most restaurants, you can't get a burger and fries for under that. How about it like at the gas pump? Well, you might be able to get like a quarter of a gallon or something. I mean, like really, gas is getting very expensive. But from my cell phone company, Pure Talk, you can get unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. Pure Talk gives you the same quality of service as your current cell phone provider, but for half the cost. I want to ensure you heard that. This is top-tier coverage on America's most dependable 5G network for half the cost of other carriers. The average family will save almost 1000 bucks a year, all with no contracts and no activation fees. You can switch to Pure Talk with the phone and phone number you currently use, or you can take advantage of their great deals on the latest iPhones and Androids. Making the switch is incredibly easy. Their U.S. customer service team can help you join Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes. Choose to spend your hard-earned money with a wireless company that shares your values, supports our military and veterans, a company that creates American jobs and refuses to advertise on fake news networks. Don't spend another day spending ridiculous amounts of money on your phone plan. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Right now, my listeners can get an additional 50% off their very first month of coverage. That's puretalk.com slash Shapiro. And then there's foreign crisis fomented by this administration. So this administration came into office overtly suggesting that they were going to refund Palestinian terrorist groups suggesting that they were going to side with Iran over Israel, suggesting that they were going to try to essentially put the Abraham Accords, which are these historic peace deals between a variety of Arab countries and Israel, in the rearview mirror and instead, instead incentivize violence in the Middle East. And that's exactly what has been breaking out in the Middle East. And make no mistake, the folks in the Middle East, Fatah, Hamas, terrorist groups, Iran, they know that with Biden in the White House, they now have somebody who is significantly friendlier to them than to Israel. And this is true when Obama was in the White House as well. Because the soft bigotry of low expectations certainly applies to Palestinian terrorist groups by American presidents in the same way that it does to a variety of other groups who are not expected to behave with decency. Okay, so what you've seen in the headlines over the last couple of weeks is, and certainly over the last few days, riots in, in, you haven't seen riots, sorry, not riots, violence, cycles of violence breaking out 
in Jerusalem. Just violence, random violence breaking out in Jerusalem. And it's not random. It's because the Israelis are really, really bad. And if you listen to Canada and the so-called quartet, the quartet is the EU, the United Nations, the United States, and Russia. If you listen to them, the Israelis are the problem. It's terrible what the Israelis are doing in the Middle East. Okay, so according to the Jerusalem Post, they condemned on Sunday the violence that took place on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and called on Israel to halt eviction plans for Palestinian families from the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood as violence rises in the country's capital. The EU and U.S. also issued a statement against the violence and the pending Sheikh Jarrah evictions, as did Jordan, Turkey, Qatar, Egypt, the UAE, and Bahrain. Individual European countries, as well as South Africa, have spoken out as well. Canadian Foreign Minister Mark Garneau said, we call for immediate de-escalation of tensions and for all sides to avoid any unilateral actions. Okay, so the easiest thing to do if you know nothing about this region is just to say, cycle of violence, everybody needs to calm down. It's like a bad parent walking in on two of their kids who are fighting. Well, just everybody should calm, just everybody stop it. It's on everybody. Okay, well, that's not actually what's going on here. Here is what is actually going on in the Middle East right now. Okay, Fatah, which is the ruling party, of the Palestinian Authority. They're the armed wing of the Palestinian Authority, which is Mahmoud Abbas's group. They were supposed to hold an election. It was going to be the first election since the last election, which was in, I believe, 2006. Because Mahmoud Abbas is now in the 15th year of a four-year term. So they have not actually held elections since 2006. It's been a long time. Okay, and so they were supposed to hold elections. Then they canceled the elections. They blamed the Israelis for it, of course. And now, because they canceled elections, and because Joe Biden has signaled that he is going to be very pro-Palestinian, They've decided, you know, it's a great idea. Let's ramp up the violence for some media cred. And because Fatah wants to outflank Hamas. Hamas is considered more terroristic and more radical than Fatah. Fatah is a terrorist group, but Fatah also has authority over these Palestinian areas in terms of a certain level of domestic rule. Hamas runs the Gaza Strip. In an election, Fatah was afraid it would lose to Hamas. So now they're trying to outflank Hamas on the we are violent terrorist front. And they're trying to, trying to outdo Hamas. So what is the pretext that they have used in order to launch a new round of rioting, a semi-intifada? What exactly is that pretext? Here is what the actual pretext is. There are four families who are being ejected from homes for which they have not been, paid, been paying rent for decades in a place called Sheikh Jarrah. Sheikh Jarrah is a little outskirt of Jerusalem. It's a bunch of, it's, it's a almost entirely Arab area. It is also known as Shimon HaTzadik because there is a, a grave of a very famous Talmudic sage named Shimon HaTzadik over there. It was a historically Jewish area all the way up to 1948. It was majority Jewish in Jerusalem up to that time. And then the 48 war happens, right? The establishment of the state of Israel happens. And Jordan conquers the old city of Jerusalem, East Jerusalem, and Sheikh Jarrah. And they expel every Jew. Because the difference between Israel having territory and the Arab countries having territory is that when the Arab countries gain territory, they expel every Jew. When the Israelis gain territory, the Arabs stay, right? One-fifth of the population of Israel is Arab. Okay, so Sheikh Jarrah is made Judenrein from 48 to 67. Okay, then Israel in the 1967 war wins back that territory, including Sheikh Jarrah. And there's a lawsuit that is filed by the original owners of the homes in Sheikh Jarrah seeking ownership of the buildings that basically, of the land that they were forced out of in 1948. So there's this ruling in 1970. Or in, in, and, and the ruling said that if you can show that you have a land record here, then these buildings belong to you. Okay, and so these Jewish groups came along and they said, okay, these buildings belong to us. They registered. The properties were registered with Israeli authorities under a couple of organizations named Vad Edad Hasfardim and Vad Haklali Liknesa Israel. And in 1973, these were recognized to be Jewish homes. 
Hey, the organizations then sold the properties to another organization in 2003. According to a 1989 high court decision in Israel, reaffirmed, as in the case of any tenant living on somebody else's property, residents living on the land were required to pay rent to the organizations that owned the property. They didn't pay rent for literally decades. Now, this has been elevated to a legal case, and the district courts found that the people who are living there are not paying rent, need to pay rent, or they need to, vac- or they need to vacate, and they can be evicted. So this is all an eviction case, a legal eviction case. And the Israeli authority said, okay, well, we're going to evict. And they used this. The Palestinian Authority and Fatah used this as a pretext to start a round of violence. That is all this is. It is just a pretext to start a round of violence in order for Fatah to avoid the implications of avoiding an election and in order for Hamas, because they're always good for some violence, to seek to outflank Fatah as the populist violence and terrorism generator. The way the West treats this is as though Israel is the aggressor in this particular situation. So in other words, you have a basic eviction case that has been adjudicated in Israeli courts and in which, by the way, the defendants acknowledged that they never had any land deed to these areas. And not only did they not have any land deed, they acknowledged Jewish ownership of these particular buildings and they refused to pay rent. And this has turned into a, a regional issue and now a global issue. And in the end, what that's really driven by more than anything else is the view by the Palestinians that if they can somehow sucker the Biden administration into taking their side, then they can generate concessions and they can avoid the implication of being horrible to their own people. Hamas and Fatah are garbage for the Palestinian people. They are garbage for them. If they can generate all of that anger and direct it at Israel, then this is the natural outcome. The Biden administration knows this and they don't care because they have decided that the Israelis are the bad guys in this particular region. Generating crisis wherever they go, the Biden administration doing a wonderful, wonderful job as always. And by the way, the violence you're seeing on the Temple Mount is pre-planned. The violence that you are seeing in Jerusalem is pre-planned. It is part of a broader terrorist campaign. We have plenty of tape of it. Anybody who is telling you that this is a spontaneous uprising or that Israeli police are the aggressors is patently lying to you. They're just lying. It is not true. Okay, but the media know nothing. I saw a great Michael Crichton quote over the weekend. So Michael Crichton said about the, uh, about the media at one point that if you have any expertise in a particular topic and you watch media coverage of that topic, you know the media don't know anything. Then you flip over to a different page of the paper. You're like, oh, well, they must know about this. Well, no, they don't. They don't know anything about the Middle East. They don't know anything about the, the players on the ground. They don't care. All they are doing is reflecting a, pre, a preset narrative that they wish to run with and that the Biden administration wishes to foster. And the result, more violence, more poverty, more suffering. Why not? It's the Biden White House way. All right, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out the Michael Knowles Show. On today's episode, Michael will be talking about an insane incident where a SWAT team in Canada took down a Christian pastor. You can hear more details about that story over on Michael's show. That is available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our assistant director is Pavel Wydowski. Editing is by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant is Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Dr. Fauci holds Mother's Day hostage until everyone gets a vax. A SWAT team takes down a pastor in Canada for disobeying the public health police. And President Trump loses another Twitter account. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Hey, 